0: So we have seen after the prologue that the author, John, establishes a number of witnesses. He establishes John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophet. And then right after that, he establishes a number of the initial disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of the 12, five emerge in chapter 1. Uh, we see that the first Two disciples who emerged were the author John himself and Andrew. And then through Andrew's introduction, we studied about Simon Peter, the introduction to Jesus. And today we're going to be studying about Philip and Nathaniel. So we're going to just focus upon these two characters for today. Shall we begin with uh, the scripture reading from verse 43? And uh, we're going to read this both in English and Korean. And we will focus upon Philip, first of all. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see," said Philip. 한국어로, 예수께서 갈릴리로 나가려 하시다가 빌립을 만나 이르시되 나를 따르라 하시니 빌립은 안드레와 베드로와 한 동네 베세다 사람이라 빌립이 나단의를 찾아 이르되 모세가 율법에 기록하였고 여러 선자가 기록한 그 이름. Two things we can see about Philip here and how he encounters the Lord and how he abides uh, in the Lord. And first thing is we see how Jesus actually calls Philip, how he calls him into discipleship. And it's very simple. He simply says, follow me. There's no introduction as to how Philip encountered Jesus. It's just Jesus just approached him and said, follow me. And Philip simply recognized that to be the call and followed Jesus. We don't know what went in preparation before the call. But one thing we know, all these other initial disciples of Jesus who received their their call, they received it all in different ways. Different combination, you might say. And none of them went through one type of formulaic way of accepting Jesus as their Lord. We saw in the case of Andrew and John, they were introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. Actually, they were initially John the Baptist's disciple. And through the referral of John the Baptist, they start following Jesus. Jesus notices that they're very interested in him. They're questing him. So he turns around and says, what do you want me to do for you? And they simply ask him, oh, Lord, we just want to hang out with you. Where are you staying? Let us be there, you know, for the entire day. And so Jesus says, come and see. And through experiencing Jesus in a whole day encounter, they come to realize Jesus as their Lord and the Messiah. Now we see in the case of Simon Peter, his own brother introduced Jesus as the Messiah. And he says, we found the Messiah. This is who we've been waiting for. And then suddenly Jesus approaches Peter, who is ready to meet Jesus. And the Bible says that he looked at him and then he pronounced a whole new name to Simon. To Simon he says, your name will be Cephas. In Aramaic, that means rock. In, in Greek, it is the word Petros. Okay? And so uh, Simon Peter is recognized by Jesus, but he is evangelized by his own brother, Andrew. Now in Philip's case, there is no mention of a mediation. There's no one who introduces him to Jesus. How do you suppose he found Jesus? How do you suppose he recognized Jesus? Well, it says here, that basically Jesus recognized Philip and basically commanded him to follow him. It doesn't really matter how we come to know Jesus. Most important thing is two things. First of all, that somehow you develop a knowing relationship with Jesus. You have some kind of revelation inside as to who Jesus is, and you'll get interested in Jesus. Second thing is this. Once you recognize who Jesus is, there is a demand of discipleship. There is something that Jesus will tell you to do. Follow me. Serve me. In some cases he would say radical things. Leave everything behind and carry the cross and follow me. But the important word here is following. following. That's the term for discipleship. And I'd like to give you three words that are related to the concept of following Jesus. First of all, We must be willing to obey his command. If you're saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus, I want to obey his command. If you don't like the word command, I have to say tough. Because everything about our relationship with Jesus has to do with command. When we call him Lord, Master, we're asking him to dictate and speak forth with authority whatever his will is. And we have to be willing to submit to that. We have to be willing to obey his commands. So obedience to his command, submission to his will, and the third word is faithfulness to his call. He has a call upon each one of us. And we have to realize that. Following Jesus, we can't just be followers. We have to be also apostles, sent to one of Jesus. We need to go when the Lord says, Now you go, and I want you to be faithful to the call that I give unto you. Second thing we see about Philip here is that Philip, just like Andrew, immediately after he accepts the Lord, he begins to reach out to others and share the gospel. He becomes an evangelist. And let's see how he witnessed to Nathaniel, his friend. First of all, first of all, we see that he reaches out to Nathaniel. He finds him. And then he tells him, we have found this Messiah that Moses and the other prophets have been talking about. But what did he encounter right away from Nathanael's response? In verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now why did he say that? If uh, Philip simply introduced Jesus as the, the prophet or the messiah that we've been all waiting for, the king of kings, the lord of lords that we've been waiting for, that would be one thing. But he mentioned at the tail end of that, by the way, you know who that person is? He's Jesus from Nazareth, son of Joseph, that we may be familiar with, we may have heard about. Because Nazareth is a small town, and just a few hundreds, about 200 people there. So everyone knew each other. And Galilee had rival cities. And obviously, Nathaniel was from a rival city. And some scholars would say he's from Cana, very nearby. But they had a disdainment towards the city of Nazareth, Very bad, bad feelings towards each other. And so he says something very disdainful. Nazareth, can anything good come from here? Now what would you say to a person that you're trying to reach out and immediately they give you a word of sarcasm, you know? Can anything good come out of so-and-so type of church or so-and-so type of denomination, so-and-so type of religion? Can anything good come out of certain geographical location that is identified with that kind of religion? what did you do? How would you go about? How would you go to the next base? When from the first base, they throw you, you know, an offensive word. In evangelism, we must not lose heart. That's the important thing because that is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to throw all sorts of, you know, disdainful words and words of offense at us. Now, how are we going to take that? How are we going to receive that? Well, we can learn from Philip. Look at what he says. Come and see. What is he saying when he says come and see? Yeah, and how are you going to prove them wrong? Just coming and see. Come and experience. Because words of logic and words of persuasion is not going to do. When people are on an offensive, you know, And they're throwing all sorts of barrage of words, negative words at you. You cannot fight that. I don't care. It could be someone like me, your pastor, who has all this theology and knowledge. I cannot possibly fight back. What should I resort to? I should resort to not my words, but life experiences or actual experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's very important that we cannot simply witness to people just with knowledge, theology, and understanding of the Bible. We have to come with our life, life experiences. What experiences do you have? What kind of testimonies do you have? Can you talk about Jesus in a lively way that Jesus is person, not just a religion? Can you introduce to some kind of experience in Jesus, whether through worship or through service or through loving uh, fellowship, can they feel something, experience something? Because they're not going to meet Jesus through the head. They're going to meet Jesus through the heart. And oftentimes, that heart experience of Jesus happens when they're engaged in something very practical and lively in life. And this is exactly what uh, Philip does. Now, I think one time I mentioned to you four P's, of evangelism are you familiar with this i think i mentioned this once before okay i just want to briefly touch upon this once again Uh, in evangelism tactics we talk about four p principles okay and the first p is that of proclamation we must speak forth the word of god because that's revelation. That's the insight about who Jesus is. We can't just go, mm, I'm not going to sing. No, you've got to speak it out. You've got to read it out. You've got to study the text together. Okay? That is involved in evangelism. Second P is that of persuasion. You don't just proclaim it. In evangelism, you don't just say, here it is. Take it or leave it. No, we've got to take them to the next space. We've got to persuade them persuade them. So you try to persuade them with your arguments as much as possible. If you know theology well, if you know the Bible well, you try to persuade them as much as possible. It's like catching fish. Jesus says soul saving or evangelism is like fishing. Did it not? I know in those days they used the net, but I I like to use the analogy of fishing rod. I throw the line and the fish bites. He's interested. I threw the revelation, and the fish is very interesting, go nibble, 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 Oh, bites. Now, what am I going to do? Just once it bites, I just leave it at that, and I don't draw in the line. Drawing the line in a persuasive way, then I'm going to lose the fish. So you've got to be persuasive. And then, some uh, evangelistic scholars, they have come to a conclusion that it is not sufficient to just proclaim the word, just to be persuasive in presenting the word, but you must also demonstrate it by some kind of power. Whether it be healing the sick, casting out demons, doing nature miracle, or doing some heroic thing in terms of loving and caring for others. Or making the sacrifice, even martyrdom. I can demonstrate power to them. So when they see that the gospel is visibly presented to them, they go, wow, I see it now. I feel it now. And this is what they're saying. But most scholars and most missionaries and evangelists will say that the basic thing that we must do, even though all of these three, proclamation, persuasion, power, may not have much effect upon them, then the fourth way is perhaps the most powerful way, and that is through presence evangelism. Could you repeat that name? Presence evangelism. We show them through our life. Sometimes we call this friendship evangelism. You, know, you become their friends. You know, somebody that they can trust. Somebody that can open up their hearts and lives too. Somebody they can trust. And then, when it's right time, you can reach out to them. And this is what Philip is saying to Nathaniel. Come and see. I can't explain it. You know, I'm going to take you to the source, the Lord Jesus Christ, and let's see what happens. I'm going to show you my own life and my own relationship with Jesus, and let's see what happens. Presence evangelism. Friendship Evangelism. I think it is one of the most powerful ways of reaching out to people. Now let's talk about Nathanael for a moment. And let's begin with verse 47 um, all the way to verse 51 together. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. 한국어로, 예수께서 나다나엘이 자기에게 오는 것을 보시고 그를 가리켜 이르시되, 보라, 이는 참으로 이스라엘 사람이라. 그 속에 간사한 것이 없도다. 나드나엘이 이르되, 어떻게 나를 아시나이까? 예수께서 대답하여 이르시되, 빌립이 너를 부르기 전에 네가 모아간 나무 아래에 있을 때에 보았노라. 나드나엘이 대답하되, 랍비여, 당신은 하나님의 아들이시오. 당신은 이스라엘의 임금이로 쏘이다. 예수께서 대답하여 이르시되, 내가 너를 모아간 나무 아래에서 보았다 함으로 믿느냐? 진실로 진실로 Amen. Amen. Now here we see Jesus interacting with Nathaniel, and there are three things that we clearly see uh, indicated here in the text. First of all, and actually in the previous text, When Nathaniel made that sarcastic remark about Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, how could anything good come from such a city like Nazareth? Well, what he's saying is how could a person like Jesus who claims to be a Messiah possibly come from or be raised in a setting like that? Now, we know from this text that we have just read, that Jesus knew the heart, Jesus saw the incident, Jesus saw exactly what was going on even before Jesus personally encountered Nathanael. So he heard those words. And I'm sure when Nathanael first encountered Jesus, he was like, oh my God, that means you know everything that I've spoken about you, those negative remarks. You've been supernaturally eavesdropping on me. But the interesting thing is Jesus did not take offense at Nathaniel's comment at all. And this is what we need to learn from Jesus. We are so easy to take offense. <웃음> 기분 나빠. 싫어. 쳐다보지는 않을 거야. 하기가 um. 너무 쉬운 거야. 기분이 상하거든. 누가 부정적인 말을 하거나 어떤 비난적인 어떤 비관적인 말을 할때 나는 싫은 거야. 싫으니까 그 사람한테 더 다가가지 않는 거예요. But look at what Jesus does. He brushed that aside. And he could have brought that comment into the whole picture. You know, I know what you said to me. But I forgive you. No, he didn't say that. He just 모른 척하시고 싹 지나간 거예요. There are a lot of things that when we see the people of the world that we want to make common. You know what? You hurt me last year, but Jesus told me to love you, so I'm here. I'm going to love you anyway. Well, that's good, but that sours the whole atmosphere already. 어느 사람이 그런 말을 들으면서 기분 좋아할 사람이 없어요. Wow, really? And you sound a little hypocritical you know, when you're that, you say know, that you're doing it simply because Jesus. But you don't really have a heart for me, do you? You're still judging me. In evangelism, judgmental heart is the worst thing that you can have, reaching out to the people. But having said that, I have to be honest. We all have judgments about people, how they look, how they dress, their past, their flaws, their backgrounds. We make judgments, and each judgment's like that. But what did Jesus do? He was so merciful. If you look at Jesus... He wasn't anything like these people that he related to, the adulterers, the sinners, the lepers, you know, the tax collectors who were the traitors in those days. But he reached out to them without any of these judgments. And he was so merciful that he overlooked the offenses that he's received from them. He was willing to overlook. And That's why he was able to go to base 2, base 3, and home base. And we can learn from Jesus try not to take so much offense. Or if you are constantly being offended in your heart that you can't reach out to people, then you really have to ask the question, what is it? What's the basis? Why am I so insecure? Uh, why, why am I so angry? That, that's always the stumbling block before me in order for me to go to others. Second thing Jesus did was this. He discerned the very inner heart of Nathanael. I think this is what, why Nathaniel was so touched. He didn't fear judgment from Jesus, but Jesus spoke to him something so deep in his true inner heart. You know, he was sarcastic. He was negative. He was, you know, making comments like, but that wasn't him. I think that was his insecurity talking. Or maybe he has some anger problem over some issue, but Jesus says, that's not really you, Nathaniel. You know who you are? As I see it, you are a true exemplary figure of an Israelite. And what did Jesus define true Israelite as? Someone without any deceit, without any guile. And later on, I'm going to show you how this statement is related to an Old Testament character named Jacob. But hold on. Hold on to that thought for a second. Because I want to touch upon this conversation that he's having with Nathaniel. Look at this. He says, Nathaniel, hear, truly, you are an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. If Jesus came to you and, and said those very remarks to any one of you, how would you respond? I mean, how would, you make, how would that make you feel? Like, oh, Lord, I'm unworthy. you blushing. You'll be embarrassed. You feel shameful. What? No, that's too much praise. I don't deserve it. But the funny thing about Nathaniel is, says, "How do you know me, Lord?" <laughs> Either that clearly shows his arrogance, or maybe he deeply was trying to be a true Israelite. He wants to be removed from the deceitful ways of the many of the Jews in those days. Maybe what he wanted to do was show God this, but God was not around. People had no way of acknowledging him or recognizing him. And this is what Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, this is another revelation and insight that I think Nathaniel was blown away by. Because what he was doing, this was even before Philip encountered him. What was he doing? He was under a fig tree, perhaps thinking or meditating or praying about something that was deeply in his heart. Maybe it was the whole issue about what does it mean to be a true Israelite? What does it mean to prepare for the Messiah? What does it mean to be truly a godly person? Maybe he was thinking like that. Because any time in the Old Testament when they talk about someone a remaining under a fig tree, it was related to someone who's finding a quiet place of reflection before the presence of the Lord. And it was sort of a secret deal which is between God, but he doesn't know whether God's going to answer or not. And suddenly God, through Jesus Christ, appears and says, I know what you've been praying. I know what you've been wishing. I know what's in your heart. You want to be a man without any deceit, any hypocrisy. You want to be a true Israelite. I see that in your heart. And I saw that. Why you were even praying under that fig tree. I think that's why he was so blown away that he could only confess with just a few interactions like this. Rabbi, that's teacher or master. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. In other words, Jesus, you are the very Messiah that we've all been waiting for. And I accept you into my life. Then this is what Jesus had to say. His final word to Nathanael was a very much of a revelatory word. And this is where I believe that Jesus was making the connection through the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. And he was saying, Nathanael, you remember the story. You're probably a man who's very familiar with the scripture. And you've probably been studying all these characters. You want to be in that lineage, in that spiritual lineage. Let me tell you, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. And, you know, a lot of people can believe the Lord. What? How could you know me? We can be blown away by the supernatural discernment of God. Like he can speak through prophecy. He can speak through visions and dreams. But Jesus said, that's nothing. Because you will see so much greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I want to give you a little comparison, a little bit of a comparative study between Nathaniel and Jacob. If you study Genesis chapter 28, you see that Jacob, by the way, his name means Deceitful, guilesome, con artist. He's the one who grabbed his twin brother Esau's heel as he was coming out. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's aggressive and he's possessive and he wants it's my me myself. And he tricked his own father and his brother Esau into receiving that firstborn son's. Birthright blessing from the father. He received it. That's how powerful the traditions were in those days. If the father prays and hands over that inheritance to another son, even though that was a mistake, he cannot revert back and say, okay, let's, that's, 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 we've got to go back to default. You are my first son. No, he, he told Esau, who came after him, I have no more prayer for you. I'm sorry, son. That's how powerful it was. But he hands over the spiritual blessing to Jacob, but Jacob is now really scared because his brother Esau is going to have his day of revenge and wrath on him. So he runs away from home. He runs away from home. He goes to Laban, his, uh, his uncle's home. Yeah. But on the way, he's disturbed. He feels like he... He did a, such a criminal act, such a, a sinful act of offending his father, offending his older brother, offending the whole family who knew about what he did. He was a thief. He was a robber. He was an unethical man. But on the way, he came to a place which is later known as Bethel, house of God. And there, he sees a dream whereby a ladder or stairway it descends from heaven and there's God's presence up at the top and it's descending, angels going back and forth, and he are so linked to heaven. You know the song Stairway to Heaven? I think that's where they got the idea, you know, the stairway that links us to heaven. But we see another incident in chapter 32, where now, after he becomes prosperous in his uncle Laban's house, he brings all these wives and then flocks, and he's about to return back to his home. But again, he's scared of his brother Esau and the encounter that he's going to have. So at the ford of Jabbok River, he has this supernatural encounter with what is known as the angel of Yahweh or angel of the Lord. And I believe it is the way Jesus appeared, even in the Old Testament times, in a form like an angel. And the Bible says that he wrestled all night with this figure, all night. And then finally, the angel basically says, Now, you have to let me go. And he just touches his hip bone, he collapses, he holds on. And he says, Unless you bless me, I will not let you go. And after wrestling with Jacob, the Lord himself says, Now I'm going to change your name to Israel, which means one who has struggled. That is, you have experienced God now. Because our experience with God is really a struggle, isn't it? It's like a wrestling match, isn't it? Well, at least my life has been like that. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes like tug and pull. It's like like tension. But it's a real lively interaction with the living God. And the Lord says, I pronounce you Israel. No more Jacob. No more deceitful one. I am going to transform you into the father of 12 tribes. And that's how he got converted. And that we see in in Genesis 32. Now, Nathaniel, when he hears these key words and the codes, you know, you're true Israelite. There's no deceit in you. But Jesus is saying, you will now see the heavens open and the stairway or the ladder of God reaching down. And no more is God up there now that God is incarnated through Jesus Christ, that the angels will descend upon him and ascend back to heaven. That kind of connection with heaven. Now he realized, wow, who is this person who's going to be that presence for me? Who is this person who's going to give me my sense of true identity? Who is this person who really knows me inside out? And last um, Sunday, I mentioned the fact that even Simon, when Jesus said, You will be Peter, you will be Cephas, you will be the rock, what Jesus was basically declaring was, There's only one person in the whole world who could possibly know you for who you are. And we see in the book of Revelation, in especially chapters 2 and 3, when he pronounces these words of recognition and acknowledgement to seven churches in Asia Minor, he always says, I know you. I know your deeds. I know your situations. I know your weaknesses and flaws. But I know a new identity and destiny for you. It seems like the Lord is very much interested in telling us who we really are if we'll go to the source and find our identity and destiny in him. I would like to end this message with a statement by John Calvin in the great book that I recommend that you all read, and that is the book called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And in the very first book, in the first chapter, the first section, this is what John Calvin had to say. True and sound wisdom consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Let's recite this together. True and sound wisdom consists in two parts: the knowledge of God and of ourselves. 참되고 건전한 지혜는 두 가지 부분으로 되어 있다. 하나님의 관한 자신의 관한 지식이다. Isn't that what it's really about? Knowing God and knowing ourselves, and only then can we truly know each other. But interesting, in the Institutes, John Calvin does not start off by saying, no God, no God, because you cannot really just know God. you got to know yourself. You start with yourself. Oftentimes when you begin to know that you're a sinner and you're flawed and you're inadequate, maybe that's how Nathaniel was. He had flaws. He knew that he was this sarcastic, negative, bad-mouthing type of person. He was angry. He was kind of ps about God and the nation and the Romans who were oppressing them. And yet Jesus bypasses all that surface-level stuff and gets right to the core. I know who you are. And I can tell you, through our ongoing relationship, you'll get to understand me deeper, understand yourself deeper. So the slogan, the concluding slogan is this, to know him and to be known by him. I think that is the slogan that we should embrace in our hearts, to know him and to have him know us so that we can know ourselves and so that he can point us to others so that we can make him known to them so that they can know who they are in Christ as well. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today we have studied about Philip and Nathaniel and through uh, their encounters with you, Jesus, uh, we see and we learn so many wonderful things that uh, we can treasure in our hearts about you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you do not judge us based upon our flaws, and our surface level uh, weaknesses, Uh, you look at the core. You look at the inner heart. You go for what is true about us, and sometimes even we cannot know for sure. I'm sure that Nathaniel, as he was meditating under the fig tree, he perhaps thought that maybe there was something genuine about him, but the way he operated he couldn't be sure until Jesus, you came on the scene and you told him, I know your heart. You truly desire to be genuine Israelite without any guile, without any hypocrisy. You want to be in the lineage of Jacob who turned into Israel. Well, I say you are, Lord. That's what you're saying. You are that Israelite. And you are going to inherit that Blessing of Jacob, Israel. And you are going to see that the heaven will be connected to the earth through the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So Lord, let us learn from this text and let us continue to be inspired by how these early disciples encountered you. And may we also enter into deeper encounters with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.